These verses are powerful verses. And they speak of the servant of the Lord. In fact, the verses we're going to be reading in Isaiah 53 really form a four-part series on this mysterious servant of the Lord. Who is this servant of the Lord? And Isaiah 53 is the fourth installment of a prophetic vision looking down through the corridors of time to see this servant of the Lord. The Jews called him the Messiah. We call him Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now Isaiah didn't know that's who he was prophesying about. But God was giving us a portrait and a picture of his servant, the servant of the Lord. And let's drop into verse 4 of Isaiah 53. Verse 4 of Isaiah 53. And picking up this portrait of the servant of the Lord, it says the following. Surely he, the servant of the Lord, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that you would give me anointing to speak. And I pray that you would give my friends the grace to hear about you. Oh, Father, your son. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, may we see him and savor him and worship him this morning. Oh, Father, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the suffering servant is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. How can I say that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ when he referred to himself, referred to himself according to this prophecy. No need to turn there. You can just jot this scripture down. It's found in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. And Jesus, speaking about himself, said, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is Jesus referring to himself. He's saying, hey, the suffering servant of Isaiah is none other than myself. And the the Jewish leaders couldn't understand it because they were looking for a Messiah who would be king. And they didn't understand that first they were going to have a Messiah who would be a suffering servant. They couldn't put those two together. In fact, A good way to illustrate this to you is this. When you look at Old Testament prophecy, it's like looking at two mountains. You have a taller one in the back, and you have a shorter one that's in front of it. 
And so when you're looking from this distance, they look like they're right together. And the taller mountain in the back is the picture of Jesus Christ as the ruling king, Messiah, Lord of lords, who will be reigning over the nations, which we believe, certainly at his resurrection and ascension, he is reigning, but one day he's going to come back and rule the nations with an iron rod. He's going to come back, not as a suffering servant, but as a ruling, conquering king. But Isaiah, right here, gives us this picture of this other mountain, a little bit shorter, of a suffering servant. And what they didn't understand, that is, if you were to take this picture and suddenly turn it this way, there's a big valley in between the two. That valley is the period of time that we're in now. That valley is the fact that the king had to first come as a suffering servant. And they rejected that idea. They were offended by the fact that Jesus would claim to be Messiah and yet say that he's going to die on a cross. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' best friends and closest followers, when Jesus said, I came to die on a cross for you, Peter says, you're not going to die on a cross. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. And the, and the Jewish leaders, when they saw him on the cross, they said, ha, you're going to save others? Save yourself, and then we'll believe that you are Messiah. And Jesus said, oh no, this is what I came for. You missed the portrait. Let us not miss the portrait this morning. Because Jesus Christ came as a substitute for our sins, to die as a suffering servant. And the main point this morning of this message is this. Behold the servant of the Lord who was wounded for our sins. Behold the servant of the Lord who was wounded for our sins. I want to invite you to come along with me this morning, dear friends, to look again at great detail at the suffering servant, this servant of the Lord, this enigmatic, this mysterious figure who walks through the pages of Isaiah. He's none other than Jesus Christ. And today God bids us to look at this portrait and then to respond to this portrait. Now we can't fully respond to the portrait of Jesus Christ prior to hearing the full picture in this message. But I just went right at the beginning, right up front, want to tell you, that's where I'm going. And more importantly, that's where God's going. Because I believe what God is wanting to do in you this morning is that you would not take for granted the gospel. That you would not take for granted, oh, suffering servant. But that you would say, oh, look at him. I worship him. See, we have, we have here gospel truth. The gospel is simply Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We have gospel truth. And we must respond to the gospel truth. My good friend Cedric Moss, when he and I were talking about this sermon during the week, he said this, he said, Al, this passage calls us who believe to an active faith in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Okay, so what's an active faith, someone might ask. Don't we all believe? Sure we believe. But an active faith is a faith that doesn't just believe, but it acts. It acts. 
No passive admirers of Christ, but active disciples of Christ. Because he said, take up your cross and follow me. What we're going for here is gospel truth that then leads us to gospel conduct. Gospel truth, great, great terms to write down. Gospel truth that leads me to gospel conduct. Gospel truth, gospel conduct. My prayer for us all today is that we simply don't take the gospel for granted, but I pray that we work hard to think through this picture of God, that God gives us of Christ suffering for our sins. May it affect our marriages, those of us that are married. May it affect our work habits when we go to work tomorrow. May it affect our schooling, those of you who are in school. May it affect uh, children and children of every age. I'm still a child in many ways. My mother is part of this church. May it affect how I relate to her as a son. Children, may it affect how you honor your parents. In this passage, we behold Christ, the suffering servant who willingly took upon himself our sin, your sin, our punishment, your punishment, suffering in our place in accordance with God's will and under God's hand. Let us behold him, O friends. Let us see him this morning. As we begin this section, we see that it's preceded by Isaiah 52, verses 13 to 15. In Isaiah 52, verses 13 to 15, we find the words, Behold my servant. Here is that mysterious servant of the Lord. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So this suffering servant begins, this section on the suffering servant begins with the exaltation of the the servant. We're going to see it's going to end with the exaltation of the servant in Isaiah 53, 12. It begins and ends with the exaltation of the servant. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ began exalted at the right hand of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And then it means that he willingly chose to leave that position of exaltation and empty himself of the prerogative or of the privileges of his exaltation to come and suffer for you and me. And it means that then he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And guess where he's at now? Back at the position of exaltation. Isn't that good? but we got to look at that period of time when he suffered. What did he do in his suffering? He was so marred, Scripture says, in verse 14 of Isaiah 52, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. What is that talking about? It's talking about him being beaten beyond recognition and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations, Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. What we see here is a picture of the truth of Christ's exaltation with the Father, emptying himself, not of his divinity, no, 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 never, 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 but emptying himself of his privilege to come and suffer for you. And doing it, Because of faith and he saw a future, a joy that was beyond the suffering of the cross. Jot this scripture down, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
Because when you read this passage that I just read, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 jumps out at you, and the resurrection jumps out at you, you cannot talk about the suffering servant without talking about his resurrection. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says the following. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Verse 2. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a picture of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father and the Father and the Son making the same agreement that they are going to now launch a rescue mission and the Father sending the Son... And the son saying, for the joy set before me, I am now going to leave the glories of heaven, despising the shame of being born on earth as a child. God came as a baby whose diapers had to be changed. How would you like to go back to being a baby? There's a certain shame to that, isn't there? God did that for you. And that was just the beginning. Because we know at age 30, he began his ministry. And then at age 33, of course, he was beaten beyond recognition. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was rejected of God. But you know why he did it? Because he knew there was a joy beyond it. Isn't that wonderful? That God would do that for us? That's the truth that we see here. Oh, behold the Lamb of God, my friends. Behold the Lamb of God. But he did suffer. He did suffer. The Lord suffered terribly as our substitute. According to Isaiah 53, the servant of the Lord is punished in the place of God's people as their substitute to make atonement between them and God. The New Testament uses this passage right here to speak of Christ's substitutionary atonement for our sins. Listen, atonement is a fancy word for the fact that I pay your penalty. That's it. Jesus Christ chose to come to this earth and suffer so that we would not have to pay our penalty. That is what atonement means. He was despised. He was rejected by men. Look at Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom the men men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. God was pleased to put on him oppression, judgment, and to cut him off from the land of the living for our sakes. God's will was to crush Christ so that we might live. Look, Isaiah 53, verse 8. By oppression and judgment... He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Now, the epicenter, the very epicenter of this passage, the very epicenter of the book of Isaiah is found in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Here, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ for our sins, the fact that God laid the punishment of my sin on Jesus as my substitute and gave me the favor and good works that Jesus earned through his perfect life. This substitution is found in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. 
I believe it's in your notes. If not, you have your text there. But let's listen to it again. Let's read it again. Let's savor Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice the he, our, he, our, he, our. The substitution upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Listen, he gets crushed. He gets broken. He gets chastised. We get forgiveness. We get peace. Oh, oh, let this drill a hole in your heart that can only be filled by the Savior, his presence. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. He has laid the iniquity of us all on him. See the transfer? See the substitution? See the atonement? Christ Christ, he, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. And you know what? You know what we gave him for bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows? We gave him a big, fat yawn. Who cares? Or we simply dissed him. Where do you get that, Al? What's well, exactly what it says in this passage. In verse 4, it says, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The thanks we gave to Jesus for bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows is saying, you're not much, Lord. How can I say this? Because scripture gives me discernment into men's hearts. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says about man's judgment of the cross. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 18, and what it says about man's judgment of the cross. For the word of the cross is folly, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And if you read further in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, it says that the world says that the cross is foolish. Jews are offended by it. Greeks Greeks call it foolishness. And then he says, but the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man, and the weakness of God is stronger than the power of man. So here's my question to you this morning. How do you view the cross? Oh, the the cross is the great discerner. The, the, The cross and your response to it, even your response to this message right now, will tell me much about the state of your soul. Christ was wounded for our sins, verse 5. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chased, chastised, or punished for our peace. And he was beaten, or by his stripes, we are healed. Listen to me. He heals us of the mortal and deadly wound of sin. His stripes heal you of the greatest sin, the greatest disease that ever, any human being can ever have. That disease will give you eternal death and judgment. And he healed you of that. 
I mean, for many, that, that's meaningless because they don't even know they're sick. Or they don't even believe the doctor's report. that You've got a fatal illness. Oh, I pray that not be you. I pray that not be you. Jesus isn't just a nice little self-help technique you add to your life. Jesus is your Savior, without whom you have no hope. That's what this means here. He gave us peace. Where it says there, he was chastised for our peace in verse 5. What that means is he was disciplined for our peace. Here's the deal. We need peace in our lives. But the peace that we need is oftentimes not the peace that we have identified. Now, you may want to have peace in your office when you go to work tomorrow. And you know what? I pray you do. But you know what? God may not have that in the cards for you tomorrow because he may actually want to work something in your heart. But can I tell you a peace that you cannot live without? And that is a peace with God. And can I tell you that apart from Christ, you're at war with God. The Bible says you're God's enemy apart from Christ. And God will prosecute a war against you. And you're going to lose every time. And so he gives you a peace with God. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that passes understanding when stock markets crash and wars break out. And relationships go bad. And children have problems. And your body is racked by pain and illness. Or there's uncertainty. You have a peace that you must have eternally, and that's with God. Does that mean anything to you? (laughs) Oh, I pray it would by the Spirit of God. Dear friends, the servant of the Lord, Christ Jesus, he came after us. That's what verse 6 is. He came after those of us who have wayward souls, and he chose to bear our iniquity, our sin, and evil deeds on his body and in his soul. He suffered on that cross in his soul far more than he did in his body. And boy, did he suffer in his body. But when God poured his wrath, his righteous wrath against sin, holy God must punish unholy man. And he said, you. And Jesus stepped forward and said, I will receive the punishment. The only one who didn't ever deserve it. Ever. The only human being that never deserved the punishment stepped forward, took my place on that cross. God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Oh, Lord, let us see that. It is terrible. There's a picture in the Old Testament of it when Israel was at the mountain and there was lightning and God said, don't even come near it. And if an animal touches it, it will die and I will kill anybody that comes up on this mountain. That's not even, that's just a a small picture of it. Study the wrath of God. Study Revelation when he pours out his wrath. That's just a picture of what Jesus bore for you and me. He became sin for you and me. Just jot this scripture down. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It basically says... He made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin. He, did, he became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Keep that scripture up there. This is substitutionary atonement. This 
is propitiation. You want fancy words? Great. Here's what they mean. Engrave those in your heart and your mind. Let them, let them, let them just cause your, your, your whole being to burst forth in worship to God. Your money is his. Your life is his. Your life is not your own. You've been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. The sinless one became sin so that you might be the righteousness of God. The, the, the innocent became guilty so that the condemned would go free. Oh, amazing grace. If you're yawning right now, I don't know that you're saved. I'm sorry, I'm just affected. I'm the biggest sinner I know. (laughs) I mean that. I'm just affected. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. None righteous. There's nobody righteous on this earth. Nobody. There's no seekers of God. There's none. Doesn't exist. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity, due to Alpino, due to every human being as a penalty of our sin. This understanding of the cross of Christ stands at the very heart of the gospel. This is the understanding of the heart of the gospel that we must apply every day. This gospel truth must lead to gospel conduct. This must inform what I do at midnight on Sunday night, at three in the afternoon on Wednesday afternoon. This is informs how I parent, how I love my wife, how I, how I pastor this church. It informs how you work. It gives value to everything you do. You, your, life, your life has been bought by the blood of Jesus. You reflect him. If you are a Christian, if you have believed in him, this is, the, this is the epicenter of history, of all mankind. This moment on the cross, this terrible moment where the mercy of God collides with the justice of God and one man is crushed, molido in Spanish, just crushed, ground up. This is the glory that will be revealed at his coming. This is the glory. See, folks, the last point here, verses 11 and 12 of Isaiah 53, oh, the servant of the Lord will receive his reward. He will divide the spoil. He'll be the conqueror. In today's language, he'll spike the football in the end zone. He'll raise his fist over the fallen foe who he's just knocked out. He'll raise the flag over the country he's just conquered. Jesus will have his reward. Jesus will have his victory. He came the first time as a suffering servant. Oh, be sure he's coming again as a conquering king. He came the first time to die for sin. He's coming a second time to judge sin. Oh, run to the cross. Run to the cross. I love these verses. Look at verses 11 to 12 of Isaiah 53. Out of the anguish of his soul... Jesus, he shall see and he shall be satisfied. Don't you think he's satisfied this morning with you? If you're a believer, he is. He looks on Paul and visit. He's so satisfied. Those are my people. Those are the trophies of my warfare and I won. Look at them. And not just here, but in Ethiopia, in Germany, wherever. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant. Here's that mysterious servant. Here's Jesus, my servant. 
He'll make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Hallelujah, I'm righteous because of Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, therefore, what's that therefore? Therefore, because of that redemptive act, that gospel truth, here's the gospel action. I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The one for the many. Are you one of the many? The one for the many. Are you one of the many? I pray you are. Because you know the Bible says in Philippians 2. Beginning with verse 5. That though he came the first time to suffer, he's coming the second time to reign. Philippians 2, 5 to 10 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is his suffering now. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Taking the form of a what? A servant. Paul knows this is suffering servant time. Paul knows Isaiah. Paul knows what he's writing. God's telling Paul what to write. Here's the suffering servant. He, 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 he takes off the garment of all the privilege of being God. He is still God, fully divine, but the privilege of it. He steps into history, steps into humanity, begins to suffer from the moment he gets here, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. That's suffering alone. But look what else he does. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. And that's suffering alone. But not only obedient, but obedient to the point of death. Have you ever obeyed to the point of dying? No, because you're here right now. Let me help you answer that one, right? Uh, Let me think. No, you haven't. Obedient to the point of death. And if that weren't bad enough, even death on a cross. Naked. Beaten, humiliated, spit upon, hair pulled out, mocked. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. That's his reward. That's what's going to happen at the end. And there's another great passage. I, I just want to read these to you. Just, just enjoy them. Revelation 5. Revelation 5, verses 1 through 6, I think. Revelation 5, verses 1 to 6 says the following. Then I saw In the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. By the way, we're getting a picture of heaven here, okay? So pay attention. This is important. This is behind the scenes, okay? (laughs) This is like reality, like really reality. Everything else isn't. This is reality. This is reality TV, 
This is it. And I saw a strong angel, verse 2, proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, nothing, nobody, no magic, no forces, no demons, no, the strongest man, the wealthiest guy, didn't matter. No one can open the seals. No one was found worthy to open the scroll to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep. And I be, excuse me, verse 4. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. May I remind you what Isaiah 53, 6 says, And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7 of Isaiah 53. Bear with me for a moment. I'm jumping back to Isaiah 53 after reading Revelation 5. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. You want to know who the suffering servant is? Jesus Christ, crucified, humbled, raised from the dead, coming back to rule and reign. No one can open the seal. But then I saw one line of the tribe of Judah, certainly. Root of David, certainly. Many names for him. But then I saw what a lamb has slain in heaven to open the seal. And then the most amazing picture in Scripture you could ever want to read. This lamb, the one who was slain, take a look at what he does. Let's go now to Revelation chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. Revelation chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Folks, this is the last day. This is the last judgment. This is new heavens, new earth time. This is time, okay? And if this was, this was like kickoff time for the football game, for a fight, this would be, let's get ready to rumble, okay? This is time to put up or shut up. Jesus is ruling, and God is replacing the old heavens and earth with the new. And what do we see? Verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains, please fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. Okay, that makes sense. And from the what? The wrath of the what? The lamb. Lambs typically aren't associated with wrath. Are they going to gum me to death? They're going to... But this isn't a joke. The most powerful men and women on earth, the richest men and women on earth, to include the poorest, 
are all going to hide if they don't know, if they're not saved, if they're not part of God's elect. They're going to hide and cry out and pray that the rocks would hide them because great that day is their wrath. And who can stand? Do you understand now why it's so amazing that he was, he was chastised for your peace so on that day you can stand? I don't care what you're going through right now. That is enough to just say, hallelujah, I'm blessed. I just, it, it doesn't matter what you're going through. I don't mean to be insensitive. It does matter. I do want to pray for you. Let's talk later. But, <laughs> but, but the foundation of my prayer is, you've got peace, and on that day, you stand. Isn't that good? And you don't deserve it, neither do I. All right, folks. Great gospel truth, right? But we've got to apply it. And that's the application questions. Men, you have a men's home group this Wednesday night. I beg you to go to that home group and put these questions into play. Men, if you're married, you put these questions into play with your family prior to Wednesday night. Ladies, if your husbands don't put them into play, in a very humble, submissive way, say, Honey, (laughs) you want to talk about this? Single ladies, single guys, put this into play in your, 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 your fellowship today. Get these questions on the table. Young people, kids, if your parents don't bring them up, say, hey, mom and dad, you know, I, I saw the notes there and I saw it says application questions. Why don't we go ahead and maybe apply them? And let's, let's talk about these. Do it respectfully, okay? But they need you. You can read these questions for yourself. They are glorious. They are wonderful. I'd like to ask you to just bow your heads with me right now and let's pray.